last week found me writing one sermon for two very different congregations. First is you, my Sunday morning Trinity Cathedral regulars. The second will be a Wednesday afternoon service at the Wrightsville Prison for men who are in faith preparing for return to life out here. Their program is called Pathway to Freedom. I'm not sure yet how I'll describe you to them. I might start with, it's a pretty fancy looking place and I grew up there. An obvious question is, who am I to preach to men in prison? I know almost nothing of the life. I have been in quite a few jails and prisons for one reason or another, but at day's end I was always free to leave. That makes for a wider than normal distance between pulpit and pews. But ministry distances of some size are always there. I am not sick or dying at the moment, but I try to minister to those who are. I haven't lost a wife or child, but at funerals, I preach to those who have. Deep down, the problem in preaching is not the differences between minister and people as much as it is the gap between minister and God. It is God's word that we're supposed to preach, but who am I to speak for him? But, according to the scripture, even that difference is no excuse. We have to try. At first, I had assumed that I'd be writing two sermons, one for you and one for them. Then I read the passages appointed for this morning, and I knew that I was writing one sermon, and that the title was Pathway to Freedom. In Exodus, that's the path from Egypt to the Promised Land after four centuries of slavery. Moses leads the way. Israel is on a wilderness road longer and harder than the people had anticipated. They hated slavery, but right now they enjoy freedom even less. Better to have died back there as slaves on full stomachs, some grumbled, than out here on poor rations in woods full of chiggers and snakes. This may have been where the saying got started, be careful what you pray for. More than other nations, ours values freedom. Political freedom, we elect our leaders who make our laws. Religious freedom, we can take or leave and practice it as we choose. Economic freedom, we buy and sell services and goods at market prices. Freedom of speech, we can say, write, and publish what we think or feel. We guard these freedoms as the rule, putting the burden of proof on claims for plausible limits and exceptions. I love this about our country. As Abraham Lincoln put it, the theory of our government is universal freedom. And yet, days or years go by when it seems that we aren't free at all. I think back to one of the least favorite years of my life, ninth grade, which I spent in boarding school up east. That sounds fancy, doesn't it? 
It was fancy like this. Up at six, make your bed and sweep the floor. Breakfast at seven, coat and tie, be on time or else. 7.30, do your chores and you'll be checked. Eight o'clock, report for class and don't forget your homework. And so on until lights out at 10. I had a poster on my dormitory wall of Nina Simone. My big sister gave me the poster to try to fool the older kids into thinking I was cool. It didn't work. My favorite song of Nina's is, I wish, how I, knew, I, wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free. They did a rocking rendition of that at Tedeschi Trucks last Sunday night. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. The joke on my ninth grade self is that now that I am free in 62, my days are longer with a stricter dress code and a lot more homework. Grown-ups, can I get an amen? <laughs> what is freedom? Beneath politics, economics, and religion, what's the essence of it? Walker Percy was a young doctor who was an intern caught tuberculosis from a corpse. By law, he was sent to a tuberculosis sanitarium in New York State. Chances were he would die there. He lost some freedom to protect the public health. It was there that he became a Christian, but before that it was there in confinement that he came to believe in freedom, the essence of it, and discovered that he had had it all along and that he still had it now. Years later, he described it this way. It was like finding gold, he said. Imagine being born with gold-tinted corneas and undertaking a lifelong search for gold. You'd never find it. What was my discovery? That I could act. I was free to act, to turn right or turn left or sit down on a culvert. Many people don't believe we have this. For example, Abraham Lincoln's Calvinist father didn't. So Lincoln was told growing up that God's will overpowers ours. Whether we are saints or sinners is up to God. Lincoln was also taught that saints go to heaven and sinners go to hell. And to Lincoln, it didn't seem right that God would punish someone for doing something God had made him do. So Lincoln turned away from the religion he'd been raised with, and he started a lifelong search for better answers to his deepest questions. For a while, he believed in what he called the doctrine of necessity. By that, he meant that we are governed by our natural drives and passions. This was his father's Calvinism, but with God now replaced by nature. Looking at southern slave owners, Lincoln could see that they enjoyed the benefits of the political and economic freedoms that they denied to the people that they owned. But deep down, Lincoln thought, they were slaves too, mastered by their own self-interest and desire. People often think of following our own self-interest and desire as freedom, but Lincoln didn't. He agreed with the great German philosopher Immanuel Kant. According to Kant, 
It is not until we begin to do what we believe we ought to do as opposed to what we want to do that we are free. Freedom is the power to make a choice even against our self-interest and desire. We can turn Kant's thought around, and it means that from the moment that I begin to do what I believe I ought to do, I am free. Beneath economics, politics, the Bill of Rights, I am free deep down. In Scripture, when St. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has made us free, he means free deep down. Our reading today is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. He wrote it from prison while awaiting trial. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He tells the people of a church outside the walls. Unlike Abraham Lincoln's father, Paul believes that it is God who gives us the power to choose our path. We have the power to go left, right, or fold our arms and sit down. Our lives are at stake in these choices. Salvation and destruction, both are possibilities. Salvation isn't economic or political primarily. For Israel escaping Egypt, it was both. And far be it from me to say that such concerns are not important in salvation. In the kingdom of God, the deepest truths flower at the surface. But salvation for Paul means saved beneath prison, politics, and passion. The prisoner Paul feels free in ways his jailers could only wish that they knew how to. Lincoln was obviously right when he thought that all of us, to some extent, are prisoners to necessity. I think that as his life went on, he softened his doctrine as he moved closer to faith. But our interests, needs, and passions, which don't enslave us, do hem us in like walls and fences. Take fear, for example. Fear is a fact of life. Thomas Aquinas taught that all fear arises from love. We have something that we cherish, health, money, freedom, a wife, a child, and we're afraid to lose it. Our greatest fear, Aquinas said, is of death. By our very nature, we shrink from death and wish life to last, he said. How we wish that we could feel free, that we are free from death. How we wish that we could feel that we are free from death. A strange true fact of ancient history is that in Paul and the apostles this natural fear of death was clearly disempowered. Paul is matter of fact about it. To me, living is Christ, dying is gain. In Christ, Living and dying are two turns within salvation. Christ's resurrection had destroyed destruction. 
There was a famous man last century who lived with Kant's freedom in Paul's faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was his name. He was a German pastor in the 1930s. Fearing the Nazis, he accepted a teaching job in the United States. But no sooner had he got here, he decided to return to Germany and accept the consequences, whatever they might be. Back home, he saved the lives of Jews. He joined a plot to assassinate Hitler. He was arrested and sent to prison. Freely, Bonhoeffer had given up his freedom. In prison, he composed a poem, Stations on the Road to Freedom. He names four stations in this order. Discipline, action, suffering, and death. Discipline is the strength we need for freedom. Bonhoeffer writes, If you set out to seek freedom, then learn above all things to govern your soul and senses, lest your passions and longings lead you away from the path that you should follow. You hear that? Discipline is Bonhoeffer's answer to Lincoln's youthful doctrine. Action shifts our choices out of neutral into gear. He writes, Freedom comes through deeds, not through thoughts taking wing. Bonhoeffer's deeds had landed him in a prison that Allied planes were bombing almost every day. About suffering in prison, he writes this, the changes come indeed. Your hands, so strong and active, are bound. In helplessness, now you see that your action is ended. By now, there were very few choices left for him to make. And this gave him a surprising, deep-down acceptance of his bondage that he found in its own way freeing. Confined in waiting execution, he tells us, you sigh in relief and rest contented, your cause committing to stronger hands. Only for one blissful moment could you draw near to touch freedom. Then, that it might be perfected in glory, you gave it to God. He knows that death is coming soon. Like Paul, he welcomes it. A feast, he calls it. To death, he writes... Come now, thou greatest of feast, on the journey to freedom eternal. Death, cast aside all the burdensome chains and demolish the walls of our temporal body, the walls of our souls that are blinded, so that at last we may see that which remains here hidden. Freedom, how long have we sought thee in discipline, action, and suffering? Dying, we may now behold thee revealed in the Lord. A few months after that, a guard came to take him out to hang him. Prisoner Bonhoeffer, he said, this is the end. Yes, the end, Bonhoeffer said, and for me, the beginning of life. For it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring release to the captives, sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. 